Canterbury fails. Their Canterbury fails. Probably never read them. The Canterbury fails. Might be moralistic or boring. Might be rhetorically soaring. Their Canterbury fails. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the Canterbury Fails. My name is Matt Hussey, and I'm joined by co-host David Coley. And this is, as Matt's about to tell you, a very special Canterbury Fails. A very special Canterbury Fails. Um, Today we have two incredibly learned, smart, articulate, and hilarious people um, joining us, Candace Sharon. Introduce Hello. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) And also... Kate Moffat. Hi. And they are from the Women's Print History Project Monthly Mercury Podcast, which I highly recommend you go, you like it, you you checkbox it, yeah. you uprate it, <laughs> and you listen to it, because it's tight. Yeah, the problem is that once you do that, we have lost you as a listener forever, it's and true. so it's been really nice knowing you, listener. Thanks, David's mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're going to briefly, just because some of you may be newcomers to Mm. the Canterbury Fails, because, you know, we might actually get real listeners with the bringing on of the two cool people from a real podcast. Um, The Canterbury Fails, each week uh, we read, or each episode, we read a medieval text. um, And it's a text that's unstudied, unread, very rarely looked at or... Unloved. And unappreciated. That's our favorite kind. That's all we've got. And <laughs> and, uh, and we pair it with a cocktail. But today we are fortunate because we're going to do it with a medieval poem. But we're also, with our august guests here, going to be doing with an 18th... Or, sorry, early 19th century novel, which I will let them introduce, but I promise you is more interesting than anything we have ever even imagined. God knows it is more interesting than this week's medieval entry, which uh, is a Middle English entry, and so I guess I will be introducing that. Why don't you go right ahead? It is The Chorister's Lament. The Chorister's Lament, in case you're interested, uh, is on the manuscript British Library Arundel 292. That is a vellum manuscript that was produced in... The last quarter of the 13th century. But what's interesting here, passingly so, is that <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a 14th century poem that was added later to the 13th century manuscript. This is an alliterative poem, um, and it has been convincingly dated by J.P. Oakton, whose judgment I'm not going to quarrel with in this instance. But you could, because he's been dead for a hundred years. I could. He is not going to care. Worse things have happened to him. Um, To a mid to late uh, 14th century poem, and that puts it squarely in the middle of the period, uh, the the, the sort of explosion of alliterative verse uh, that happens from around 1350 to sort of 1450-ish, that we call... Uh, with terrible scare quotes on it, the alliterative revival. Regular fails listeners will know that we've read some other poems from the alliterative revival. <laughs> you could be forgiven for thinking that it's not a great and movie. And you will also <laughs> be desperately needing of some revivants. Yeah. Because... But it is, you know, I mean, it is the same uh, movement uh, or the same group of poems that, that brought you Pearl, that brought you Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, that brought you the alliterative Mort Arthur, Piers Plowman, the Chorister's Lament, I mean, works of genius, all. 
Um, this manuscript, interestingly enough, can also be placed physically, uh, mm -hmm. and it can be placed at the Benedictine Abbey of Holy Trinity in Norwich, in East Anglia. And East Anglia is not exactly the first place we tend to think of when we think of a, uh, of a literative verse, but that's okay. I, I think the moral here is that you never quite know what you're going to get when you open up a manuscript from Norwich. This poem... And another short alliterative poem known as the Complaint Against Blacksmiths are thus included in this earlier manuscript. And the manuscript itself contains a lot of Anglo-Latin and a few Anglo-French works. There's a bestiary, there are the animal fables of Odo, this is a really animal-heavy text, some riddles, a distichs of Cato, an Apollonius of Tyre, not Gowers, some sermons, and my personal favorite entry into this manuscript, a set of instructions on what to do in case of accidents at Holy Communion. Meaning, actually, <laughs> I know, it's serious shit. That no, it's really yeah, I know. what I what dropped. Of accent, accent well, what happens if you make Christ's body and, and then, spill like, it. spill it or it gets flushed down the toilet no. accidentally? Or, like, you drop it and somebody walks on it. Was that a risk in the 14th Well, yeah, it's a risk because it's Christ's body, right? And so, like, this it's is... It's been transformed. You can't screw around with it. You can't, can't untransubstantiate it. No. And you don't want to be the guy that accidentally tramples Christ okay. in the Eucharist line. Okay. And so, what do you do with this? And so, what this... Entry, which I, I love. I mean, because this is a real problem, right? What do you do? I have an actual anecdote. Can I bring it to the table? You can, but I just want to suggest that this one anecdote, that this one entry does suggest that this is an ecclesiastical audience. Who else would need? Oh. Right? Who else would need that in their manuscript? So this should be, I'm assuming, is read by monks, priests, friars, so, you know, some group that can actually conduct the sacrament of the altar and would be worried about the fact that they made a little too much Christ and now need to drink it or get rid <laughs> of it. That's the story I have. <laughs> when I, as you might not be surprised to hear, there was a small stretch of my life in which I was an altar boy. <laughs> and serving as an altar boy and my tweens, um, I had to attend the services and I was the one running around with the bells and the smoke and the wine and the bread, right? Helping out. So once Father, God, what was that dude's name? Father Stevens? Father Stevens. Father mm -hmm. Stevens <laughs> made, did the wine shebang. Right? Yeah. He did the wine shebang. But he, some accident occurred. He slipped and he filled the old goblet to like, yay to the teeth. Yeah. So he's he does the dominus ominous, right? He, he transubstantiated he that. He did. It got transubbed. And he's walking around giving it to everybody. But he comes back and he's got like literally like half a pint, oh, pint of wine left in this ginormous chalice. And he has to finish it. You can't put it back. You can't undo it. No. So he's doing the whole sh thing. There's lots of motions and singing and chanting and he's like trying to chuck it down but he, he can't. And it's getting a little like worrisome. Like his face is turning red. I mean, I don't think Father Stevens avoided the alcohol in general but so he finally he flagged for help and a, a guy in the front row of the of the pew there jumped up went down dropped on to the knees put his hands up and got delivered the mug of mightiness <laughs> and whacked down the whole shebang of this wine in one go saving father stevens and probably in alignment with the rules for what you do if there's an accident. You know, if this weren't a podcast that was going to go to six or seven people, I would have said it was a lot more on point for Father Stevens to give the wine to the altar boy. Oh! Oh! All right. So let's talk about the poetics of this thing. Our cancellation is imminent. That's really, that's really what we're interested in is poetics. 
This is, uh, like some of the other alliterative verse that we have looked at, alliterative long line. It is stressed A-A-A-X, the A's being the alliterative syllables. And it also, unusual for alliterative verse, has a rhyme scheme. Mm. Do not accuse, do not accuse... Do not accuse the chorister's poet, and I use that term loosely. Do not accuse the chorister's poet of being not creative with his rhyme scheme. The rhyme scheme for this poetry, uh, for this poem, which is broken into quatrains, is A, 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 A. Boom. Boom. It is a work of genius. I mean, you think about Virtuous something like Pearl, right? I mean, this is a performance. This is a poet that wants to show off, that wants his and skill known. Right? So I'm just going to read you lines one I was, I was through, about to say, let's say, 14. Give, no, not 14. Oh, no, I'm going to no, read. No one needs 14 lines. I'm going to read you lines one through eight. Okay, that's better. Okay. Uncomely <laughs> in cloistra, e core full of cara, e look as a lorden, and listener till me, Lara. The song of the sesofa dos me sicken sara, and sit soitant on a song, a moneth and mara. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? Just, you, you can hear it coming. I, ya golenda boot, also das a gok. Money is the sorrowful song it sing upon me bok. Mm-hmm. I am hold so hard on ethis dar i lok, all the mirth of this mold. For God, e for so. Oh, yeah. So it's not exactly... Sorry, I'm a little misty. That was just... <laughs> beautiful. Well, the, the plot here is that Walter, a chorister, is a little bit... Um... Just, can I say something? Don't mm. spend a lot of time plot summary, because if they're summarizing their plot... We're oh, in, yeah. We're, it's... it's <laughs> listener, go get a sandwich and a sleeping bag. Because it is, worth, it is worth noting that we gave them a... A uh, thirty-six line I poem think. to read, and they gave us a four hundred page <laughs> two volume. Two volumes. Hey, listen, the period they were, they were usually three volumes. Yeah, we, yeah, we I know. This is a short volume. It's short, short, short form. Short for the eighteenth century. <laughs> so no, the plot is pretty basic. Walter is a chorister. He works hard. Um, he knows that he's struggling, but he goes to his master, and he's sure that his master is going to commend him for his hard work. Yeah. He goes to his master. His master tells him that he can't do it, that he's biting the notes, that he's flat when he should be natural, that he's natural when he should be flat. And then Walter has, in a little narrative aside, yeah. we're told that Walter seems like he's going to have a, a cardiac episode. He's going to burst with blood. Yeah, um, his head's going to explode. His head's going to explode. And, and then he goes to his friend William, who is studying the Psalms. Uh, and he complains to William about his labor, asks if there's as much trouble in... Uh, and, and, and William then complains to him, right? William is like, oh, the Psalms are so hard. I, I'm struggling. I can't deal with this. And he has the temerity to ask Walter if there is as much trouble in singing as there is in <laughs> sermonizing about the Psalms. <laughs> and Sorry, Walter says for another 12 lines, all tedious, of which t- Tedious <laughs> <line>. <laughs> Tells him that there is, in fact, more. And he actually makes an interesting little sort of jab at the Psalms, which, you know, maybe we can talk about. But yeah. I think to get through the rest of this, we're going to need a drink. So. Yeah. So <laughs> turn it over to Candace with the description of All the right. matched, paired, thematic, whatever cup. Well, we, which is in a teacup. What is this? Uh, that's what the recipe I found on the internet told me to do. Mm. Um so the the cocktail is called Sing Like a Bee. Okay. Oh, I like it. 
like inspired it. by the one small part of this poem I understood when I read it, mm-hmm. which is the line mm. about William saying, I'm as sorrowful, sorrowful as the bee that buzzes half drowned in the well. Oh, yeah. I my one, that one. That's my like one, one of the best metaphors. It's yeah. the only metaphor yeah. in this poem. This is, this is like the chorister's baby's book. Not much here. So my one disappointment with, with this cocktail was that I wanted to find little things that might look like bees mm. to put in them. So it's like bees in the well. Mm. But uh, oh, I'm not, it's I didn't have magic. time. I suggested, yeah. I suggested jelly bellies. Yellow yeah. jelly bellies. But we thought that might yeah. be Too weird. Yeah. Well, you know, disappointment is what we do here on the Canterbury yeah. Fail. So cheers. Cheers. Oh yeah, the bee. Ooh, it's got some pop. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't mess around. Whoa. You don't gulp the bees, bud. No, that's not like Father <laughs> Stevens. <Yes. laughs> it is. Woo. Got some kick. I, I know. can taste the bergamot. Bergamot, yeah, bergamot. yeah, it, yeah. You can definitely taste the bergamot. There's, yeah, the, also the honey is doing an interesting sort of glommy thing in here. Yeah, sorry. That. No, that's okay because it's, it sort of does add a textural element that, that you usually don't get in a cocktail. So I like that. Oh, I think that might be the uh, orange, orange juice. juice. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but maybe. Cool. <laughs> maybe those are the bees in the well. Oh. There it is. Yeah. You need to account it. for it. Yeah. There okay. they are drowning. That's there. It definitely is Earl Grey. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is it real or gray? Like, is this yeah. caffeinated? Yeah. I, I uh, put Earl Grey tea and some gin. Yeah. Soak gin. gin. Yeah. This is like a 19th century <laughs> version of Red Bull and Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, yeah, I was going to say, um, what could be more British than this? Mm. Tea and gin. Mm. <laughs> Mixed. <laughs> Colonialism. Here, <laughs> What, what? All right. Uh, so let's talk about this poem because I, mean, I don't even know what to say. I have very it. few things to say. <laughs> But I'll let someone else go first. I mean, let's let our guests. Yeah. Their first impressions <laughs> Do of Do pick this. up on uh, what we are putting down. Yeah. It's just subtle. <laughs> you know when you're teaching a class and you ask a question? I know. And they stare at you blankly. And this time it's definitely your fault. Oh, yeah, Because we did the readings. Yeah, you did the readings. <laughs> we talked about them. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, until we had that, that lovely explication, the only thing I was pretty sure I understood was that somebody in this poem was... Sorrowful as bee singing in the well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, half drowned. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I it sounds like is maybe the overall affective register of this this piece of poetry. It's not <laughs> true. It's not a high flying piece of poetry. Like I mean, a bee like, in a well. Like a bee in a well. <laughs> it, but it has that. I mean, my impression. And one of the things that I actually liked about this poem, and again, I'm not thinking about this aesthetically. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about this in terms of its like magnificence. You're gonna add it to your syllabus. No, I'm definitely not gonna add it to my syllabus. Except maybe I should add this to myself, like before I ask them to read something good, just as a kind of baseline. Here is the greatest work of medieval literature. Next. Enjoy. Let's make Pierce All downhill from down here. Um, I I liked the idea, just the idea that this poor. Tone deaf monk, yeah. right? Yeah. Is trying to read and struggle music. to come to grips with this music. Yeah, and there are some, and it doesn't condemn him too hard. No, it's okay. You mentioned that this was probably read by other monks, people who were doing things like. Well, if the manuscript context has anything to say. Maybe it was. Maybe, maybe it was added. It made me think that it. 
it's like hashtag relatable content. It's like, <laughs> it's like they did that a lot in the Middle Ages. This and they're like, oh, that's how I feel about singing too. Yeah, I was okay. So, but when it's I w- okay, I'm tone deaf. Yeah. <laughs> they won't kick me out of the Benedictine monastery no. for this. Mm-mm. I thought they were fairly forgiving. I mean, the teacher does kind of excoriate him, right? But that's but the, the poem itself is not damning of Don Walter in any way that you see anti-monastic satire normally going. And this is one of the things that actually troubled or puzzled me about this, which is that I was expecting when I, you know, looked through the index of Middle English verse and saw that there was, in fact, a poem about monks struggling to learn sacred language or sacred music. I thought that this was going to be more cutting. I expected, <laughs> I expected a satire, something scathing, and yes. so, like, like not unlike the four hundred pages of no. monkish hijinks that we're going to be listening to in the second half of the show. Like, I expected something like that. Like the monk couldn't learn his music because he was too busy hitting Father Stephen's communion wine, yeah. or he was like, you know, Father with, Stephen's. I hope, uh, God rest his soul. <laughs> Will not strike me down. <laughs> you think Father Stevens is one of our listeners? No, because he's been dead. Oh. I'm sure he's dead. I mean, he he must be dead. He was old when I was 11. <laughs> so you may have only seemed old when you. Well, were. I mean, I guess what I'm saying I expected more satire. Yeah. And what I got was a kind of no description Just of a, a monk who couldn't sing, yeah. and the monk complains, and so it's not. The satire on the chorister, as it is, as that blacksmith poem that's that's associated so with it, that makes me wonder. This is it is literally the chorister's <laughs> lament. So here's what I was thinking because I in that manuscript context, with the blacksmith poem, this alliterative poem, is all about all the crazy ass noises that blacksmiths make. Mm-hmm. It's just really loud to be a blacksmith, as you might imagine. <laughs> all right, and they, okay. they, they do it at night, correct? And this is the yeah. problem. It's a real issue. And I was wondering. So we have two poems in this manuscript that are complaining about noise. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. I was like, is it? And then plus, you you mentioned that it w- it was an ecclesiastical mm-hmm. manuscript, mm-hmm. perhaps, or at least an ecclesiastical context. Right. Right. So a lot of times, ecclesiastical people complain about monks. Right. The <laughs> priests don't like the monks. The monks don't like the priests. It's a thing, right? And nobody likes the friars. And no one likes the friars. <laughs> right. So. It's like, okay, so on one hand, I would expect a sort of ecclesiastical satire of this, these stupid monks who can't learn the proper music. But then it's also complained about these blacksmiths. So I was like, maybe it's just some guy who really can't get to sleep at night because the monks are too freaking loud and the, and the blacksmiths are too loud. John Walter's practicing mm. his verse. He's yeah. so fun. But at midnight. <laughs> yeah. Do we know what that, that scale is? Oh, okay. So I'm glad oh, you asked. Shit. Um, this, um, I, I did some research here for this, people. Um, the, there was a if lot David of... does research, we're going to hear about it. So thanks, oh, kid. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, there's a lot of musical terminology in this poem. So uh, Walter talks about his bequara being his bemol. He talks about not being able to learn his... These are all words that even I had no idea what was going on here, so I did have to do some digging to find this out because I didn't want to be caught, you know, with my pants down here. So, um, like the monks in that book we're reading later. Um, oh God! You just saved me from saying something really horrible. Um, the, uh, That's why I'm here. <laughs> thank you. Um, the uh, so the, this musical terminology reflects a studied practice of the Guidonian 
hand or Guidonian music nomenclature. Is that why there's a hand? That's why I have printed out this manuscript (laughs) image, which you listener cannot see, of a hand. And this is apparently... Are you sure you it's just as tedious as the poem? (laughs) It is. It's even more tedious. I've tried to figure it out. Well, not more, but ask. Um, And and so the hand becomes... There are points on the hand. um, So you'll have like... You have ut, re, mi, fa, so, la. There is no T yet. Yes, there is. In the drink, there is. Uh, But those are the notes in the Guidonians. And they are placed on the hand as a kind of mnemonic to help monks who are learning this. Because they can't just like sit down at the piano and play it or like listen to it on a stereo, right? They Mm -hmm. have to... So this tells you, I guess, distances between notes, and it gives you a sense of relationships between pitches. And then when you move up beyond it, the the final note, you sort of, I was, I did some, again, I, I watched a YouTube video. You watch, <laughs> you, you, there's this YouTube. You, no, there is. It was amazing. Um, you, 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 you sort of change the scale and it twists around. So the Guidonian hand is a spiral that goes around the hand and it traces the notes. This One of the things that's interesting about this, though, is that the lowest pitch... On the Guidonian scale, on the in, the, in Guidonian nama, nomenclature, is the gamma ut. The ut is the bass note. Ut re mi. Ut's a good Scrabble word, by the way. Um, <laughs> the gamma <laughs> ut is the points. lowest one. But if you can use it anyway, <laughs> the, the lowest point is gamma ut. If you start at gamma ut and you sing through the entire scale, uh-huh. all the way up the three octaves, you are running the gamma ut. That's where the expression comes from. Our single listener will finally have something to take away from this episode. Now we know where running the gamut from. No, that's what running the gamut is. That was the payoff of the whole thing. There it is. Well, thank you for coming to... I'm going to finish my drink right now. No, the only other thing I wanted to talk about in this... You've got to finish with that. I mean, are you what? That's it. That's it. This is obviously the predecessor to our Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. Yes. So yes. you can imagine you can imagine poor William like singing in si, the, so you know, in the... In the <laughs> Austrian hills, you know, Oot, it begins with Do, Re, Mi. Right? It rocks. Um, the Sund of Musa. Yeah. Um, it's pretty awesome. So the only lines I wanted to pull out here before we get to the rating game mm. are these two here at the end. This is line 47 um, and 48. And I just thought it was interesting um, because this is when William is upbraiding. I'm sorry, William, the... They could have named them something different, like no, Walter and Chuck. The most right. <laughs> so William has just had the temerity to ask Walter mm-hmm. if um, singing was as difficult as writing sermons about the Psalms. Yeah. And Walter then goes into another tedious, well, it's not 12, it's 16 lines Jesus. about how bad it really is. But then he says, toward the end of his little diatribe, I can't learn my fa sol, I can't learn my F flat, blah. Right? Then he says, full little, thou canis, full little do you know, what sorrow may ailes, what sorrow ails me. It is but childus gum that thou with David's dialus. Your psalms, your writing on the psalms, it's that's like, like a child's, child's game. <gasps> so I think that's an interesting yeah. moment. And I don't know, I mean, I, I don't think it's like, oh my God, Walter's talking smack about David. But like, I am interested in that little bit of friction. Is there some kind of, does this gesture towards some kind of like monastic like breakfast club thing where you've got like the monks who sing and the monks who do psalms. Oh, and, that might be true. Like, ah. is there some kind of tension that, that existed within monasteries among different 
groups of monks or I, I, I did what do you do with those lines so what so what you're, you're saying is that this has the potential to be a 14th century distract yeah essentially yeah they're ripping yeah. each other yeah. yeah I like it well I, the, the tension I thought and I mentioned this before or no I didn't I'm, I, it was that the other thing that it reminds me of is I can, and I was going to ha- try to look this up but I didn't have time which is there are complaints in the Middle Ages in the later Middle Ages about the new music, right? Mm. That that the English sang monophony, that, and (laughs) the and the French invent polyphony, which is way more complicated and hard to learn, but also significantly more pleasant to listen. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, and more interesting and stuff. But this, I thought maybe this is like either an articulation or a sort of symptomatic of English resistance to. The French, imp- the French cultural yeah. mm-hmm. sort of dominance of polyphony it, as the later Middle Ages emerge. Which it is a French and, master, mm-hmm. right? That he goes to. I was going to say it ends, yeah. and it yeah. ends with that French that I yeah. don't understand. Oh yeah, and he disses him in French. He does. Yeah. He rips him yeah. in French. Yeah. So that's where yeah. I thought it might be slightly weirdly sort of local versus French or nationalistic or whatever. Yeah. Which, which I mean, would align with some incredibly dated and difficult narratives about the alliterative revival. Oh. Um, yeah. That I don't subscribe to, <laughs> but that are there. Okay. Um, I, but I mean, this this strikes me as late for that. Like, if the monks in the, in the 14th know. century are struggling with polyphony, it's been around for a long time. Yeah, they're they're but really think, behind. But the I times. think about popularizes popularizers of the new music like Guillaume de Michaud, who was a clearly a 14th century figure, right? Right. So. I could just see it being a, this sort of weird yeah, and I at guess odds if with it's the East new Anglia, Maybe it didn't quite get up Things there. Things are slow yeah. up in the hinterlands. Yeah, maybe All so. right. That's, you know what time it is, though? It's time to rate. It's time <laughs> to rate. And we're going to let our guests, A, choose the scale. That's an important part yeah. of this. And B, then rate the text. We will then rate the drink. Well, we will also rate the text, and then we'll all rate yes, the drink. but we rate the drink okay. first. Yeah. Oh, we rate the drink first. So you okay. get to decide on the scale you would like to rate it on. I was thinking one through five fingers for the Guidonian <laughs> hand. I was going to suggest uh, drowning bees, but we've already no. brought that in. I, was, I like yeah. the fingers. Yeah. 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 What, are, what are the things, the like the knuckle things on the like fingers? That's like 16 solfa oots. Solfa oots? <laughs> I don't know okay, why then, I made that up. Uh, that's the one to 16 solfa oots. Let's do it. With one being... Bad? Yeah, 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 one's yeah. definitely yeah. bad. Okay. It's like a William. So, how many sulfa oots do you give this poem? Hmm. I mean, it's an arbitrary scale. You don't have to think real hard. There's <laughs> not going to be a test on it. You, you're oh asking me to not overthink something, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Candace, the person who writes our lit reviews, <laughs> like three pages long. Sorry. Um. Well, you know, I I I thought it was funny. I thought it was kind of cute. I thought it was sweet. I'm glad monks also can't carry a tune, mm-hmm. um, even when that. they're supposed to be singing. Um, so, you know, I'd give it, like, maybe a good ten. Wow. That's exactly what I was going to say, too. Ten sulfa oots. Ten sulfa oots. Ten sulfa oots. Out of 16? Yeah. That's over 15. That's that's passing grade. (laughs) You would get a degree with that rating. He goes howling about, like, a cuckoo. He, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. There was some. There was some I, pretty we funny. We are reading lines. a translation. Okay. We're reading a translation. I was reading bits of it out loud to Kate and like cackling about it. Right. So, you know, I was entertained. I, I was entertained. am heartened to hear that, but I will give it six. So far. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go lower than ten. I, I, I'm. I actually appreciated the Guidonian hand stuff. I I appreciated mm. learning Wasn't, about running the gamut, and I wouldn't have found that had it mm. not been for the hapless Walter. Mm. So I'm gonna give it. Like eight sulfa oots. Mm, okay. Um, and so I think that's 
to kind of even running, things out. Running yeah. the gamut. It's, I feel the same yeah. way I feel when I learned that they call it uppercase and lowercase because of where the type was kept in like yeah. the upper yeah. case for a printer and the lowercase. I'm having the same I'm having It's the same kind of a cool little seemingly yeah. important yeah. but actually useless fact. Completely. It's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. I like All it. right, let us rate the cocktail on the Solfa Oot scale. Out of 16. So I am not usually a big tea-based cocktail fan, but I do. <laughs> My first one. <laughs> no, there's others. I have. Unlike Rosa in the book, oh. this is my first one. Rosa at 13. Okay, we're going to have to stop. Father Stevens knew. Um, this is a delicious cocktail. I like the bergamot. I like. The, I am. I am discomforted by the floaty bits, um, which now I know is orange pulp. Um, and I'm going to now have to strain <laughs> the orange juice from my drink so as to avoid it. Mm. Um, I'm going to give this, I'm going to do exactly what you did with the poem, which is I'm going to give this 10 out of 16 mm. sulfa oots. I would drink this. It is blessedly strong and it has a nice alcoholic <laughs> kick and I appreciate that. That will not be happening with our drink. Okay, so I will, it's my turn to rate the drink and I will, um, I will take the 10, but I will add two more sulfa oots because... I really like gin. <laughs> and this delivers. So how would you guys rate it? Um, oh, I don't drink often. So I feel like it, I also have never had a, uh, a tea-based cocktail. No. And I really enjoyed this. So I, I'll give it like a solid... 13 nice. so far? Mm. I'm, I'm like, I, like I, would, I would drink uh, this again. I yeah, would drink this again. Yeah, I would definitely drink this again, too. I'm pleasantly surprised um, by my own cocktail making skills because I very rarely <laughs> And also, them. the name is great. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. I feel like there was a nice, I, I put some thought thematically. You totally it. did. It's yeah. great. No, I spent a lot, of time, I spent a lot of time looking for bee-themed cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> Which, who'd have, who'd have known there were any? I loved it. I know. There, there are a lot, it turns out. What is your rating? Oh. My rating, oh, I have to rate it. Uh, mm. I'm probably also 13, actually. Mm, okay, 13 so far. Yeah, we're, so, right. we're so in right. sync tonight. Yeah. yeah. So, I lowballed that. All right, deal. we're going <laughs> to. I'm taking it really personally. We are, <laughs> we are going to take a brief break for us, but for you on the listening end of things that won't even know that it happened. Oh, but can we play the Canterbury Fails theme song again in here? I don't know. Let's we can and, edit it in. Yeah. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be back with the far more exciting oh my God. part two. <laughs> Canterbury fails. The Canterbury fails. Probably never read them. The Canterbury fails. Might be moralistic or boring. Might be rhetorically soaring. The Canterbury fails. Yeah. All right, we are back, and for the second half of today's Canterbury Fails, uh, we are in league with the WPHP, that is the Women's Print History Project, Monthly Mercury, which is a far more sophisticated, far more erudite <laughs> podcast than what we bring you on a bi-weekly basis Thanks, David. on the Canterbury Fails. Yeah, uh, it is significantly better. It's actually scholarly. I know, it really, it really does the work that Matt and I won't do. So um, we are going to turn you over now to Candace Sharon and Kate Moffat, who are going to lead us through a magnificent early 19th century work. So take it. Uh, yeah, so we brought the three monks, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. The three monks! <laughs> to, this, uh, to this little monk-off that we're having here. Yeah. It's, a monk yeah. it's, it's a monk-off. It's a monk-off. It's absolutely a monk-off. But our monks are... Um, Gonna win. You know, Walter, Walter, Walter wasn't 
wasn't necessarily a good monk, but he was nowhere near as badly behaved as, as our monks. So your monks are bad. Yeah, bad. our monks are bad. Uh, the Three Monks was uh, written by French writer Elizabeth Guinard. She published it in 1803 in France, and then it was translated uh, by H.J. Serrett and published in London in the same year under the mm. title of The Three Monks. Um, and it follows... <laughs> how to sum up the three monks uh, it follows the lives of three very very badly behaved monks Anselmo, Dominico and Silvino mm. um, all illegitimately born and very very badly behaved did I mention they're badly behaved? you yeah. did I think it stands to be mentioned again yeah. we do not recommend you to emulate the three monks <laughs> at all don't try um, this at all they become monks because as, as kids they're uh, they're misbehaving. They're stealing things. They're causing chaos. Mostly and led so, by Silvino, Silvino right? Silvino yeah. is clearly Silvino. the ringleader. Yeah. I just he's don't clearly know what the bad one. Is doing in there. <laughs> but he's also. Yeah, they just need a third. It's picturesque. They need a third. Yeah. But he's also. Silvino's also very amiable. They remind you. Like, he's very 60 amiable. 60 times. He's amiable. <laughs> um, he's super charming, right? Like Extremely. There's yeah. the. There's like. Every time they think that some grumpy old prior is going to be pissed at them, like they're like, oh, it's Silvino. It'll be fine. It's because, fine because he's amiable. <laughs> he's going to be amiable. He's going to charm the socks and maybe more than off the prior. So you just never know. Yeah. Uh, so they become monks because they get sent away. They get sent away to a monastery, and that is supposed to... Um, well, Dominico and Anselmo get sent to a monastery to get them away from Silvino, and they are thus turned into monks. Um, Silvino goes to a different monastery. And turns into a monk. And then the rest of the book is them finding each other and meeting each other at various points. We realize who the parents are, um, which is kind of like a weird mystery. They it <laughs> it, makes, it makes Dickens look like logical. Yes, right? Right. I mean, it, it, by the end of I'm this sorry. thing, when that mm-hmm. happened. The, the Christmas Eve thing? That Dude. is true. The Christmas Eve all oh, three of us thing. were born on the same day from the same powerful pater. Conceived on the same day. Jeez, it was When not... he tells that story, he's like, well, first I was at church, and then I went... <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, 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 exactly, Seriously. exactly. Um, so yeah, like what else to say about this? That's really, that's really it. It's would you, just, would you just frame it for, the, if, if there are any remaining listeners who mainly re- <laughs> read medieval literature, yeah. could you right. maybe frame it in, in its genre, the gothic, a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then Candace, please feel free to jump in because you do more with the gothic than I do. <laughs> Um, this is very clearly, it's very clearly a book that is making fun of gothic tropes of the period. Um, when the supernatural comes in, it is immediately explained away and in the most ridiculous way possible. The really scary old prior who's supposed to be absolutely frightening, he walks like a turtle. He cannot, he moves so slowly and he's constantly telling the boys to slow down that you start laughing. He's not scary at all. Um, and this book, H.J. Serrett, the translator, actually dedicates it to Matthew Lewis, who authored The Monk, which is actually right. like a serious yeah. gothic novel, um, which is so with interesting. With actual supernatural events, mm-hmm. very yeah. over-the-top things. The Monk in that one is more kind of like evil, packed with devil-style monk, yeah. um, whereas these are just kind of like... Some bros hanging out. <laughs> they are your bros. It's really, they're really bad bros. Yeah, they're the worst like, kind of bros. They're, they're not, the worst kind of bros. I mean, they're amiable, but yeah. not. they're badly behaved. Mm-hmm. They're badly behaved. Yeah, and yeah. so, so this is like the gothic, which was a popular, yes, a very popular, you know, genre. This was an, a genre that was was it? I mean, was this a genre that was marketed or targeted at women readers because yes, this book yes. decidedly Absolutely. plays that yeah. out. Completely. Yeah, so there's, it's the introduction. It says. Um, the author kind of just comes out and says like, 
mothers, aunts, <laughs> anyone older, don't read this. This isn't for you. This if is you, for the young girls. If you take, if yes. you take monks seriously by any means, if you do not read this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it's, it's extremely self-aware. It's, yeah. it's a complete parody, a complete satire yeah. of yeah. every trope. Um, and one thing I actually kind of picked up on in the, the latest read of this absolute masterpiece <laughs> um, is that it's also kind of engaging with the French Revolution in a really interesting way. Whoa! Oh. Yeah. Whoa! What? Whoa! Oh. I, I did not see yeah. that. <laughs> Well, so that's yeah. what happens when you read in someone else's period. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about the revolution. Okay, it, it was very subtle. It was a very subtle undercurrent. Um, where? where it kind of came up once when or twice. When they guillotined Anselmo and took him to the balls. No, why? Seriously. Um, so it's talking about uh, how sort of the Catholic religion is not as prevalent in yeah. France anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of made me think that this is perhaps a novel that um that was like enabled by the fact that catholicism was like maybe a little bit less of a like overpowering institution yeah. you know like it's it's yeah, published it's, it's, it's made public it's definitely not like uh-huh. pro monk no well i mean it is kind of pro monk but not in the way you would think yeah okay. yeah like it's kind of that. yeah it, like and it just kind of jumped out at me i hadn't had not picked up on it before i was not yeah. expecting it and it was just like this kind of like offhand remark about like oh in the days when people believed in religion in france yeah, or whatever. back in those days. Yeah, back okay, in those days. Okay, so before we go on with this, because yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this crazy-ass <laughs> book, I think it's time to us for us to introduce our drink. Okay. Oh, we're so excited to and see the And the thematically matched cocktail... Isn't... Mm. We, should we, should we, we should point out the section. No, we have to. Okay. So I will tell the story of the section. I, I and, have it right here. And, <laughs> I'm well, so ready. And you can say the drink and talk about the drink. Is okay. okay? So is. there is a moment <laughs> where... There is a the moment where the monk, away. one of the three boys, monks, and Selmo has returned to where he was raised by a woman who is not his mother, right? Mm-hmm. Because the ice rattles, really, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, but he finds that he has fallen in love with the woman who raised him as his mother, mm-hmm. right? The Duchess mm-hmm. Celesta. The Duchess Celesta. Celesta, mm-hmm. yeah. it seems to be a little standoffish about this at first, but the old nurse, always a dodgy character mm-hmm. in any narrative. In any era. In any time, <laughs> leans in and informs Anselmo that things might go his way, right? So that's the way where things stand until the two of them end up on a river cruise, uh-huh. Right? And on this river cruise, a storm blows in. And it's a little bit crazy, and the waves are crashing, and the lightning is striking the you know ground or whatever. And it capsizes the boat. And Anselmo and his stepmother, or his foster mother, wash up on the shore of a beach. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's the, an the storm had ceased. Okay, he's reading the text. Mm. And the chase died. This is so bad. I mean, just, you go, you got to lean into the it. The storm had ceased. And I love the plasticizing. <laughs> oh, I know, the rosy-fingered Don. I yeah. love this all over it. And the chaste Diana shed her blushing light on that scene of love and voluptuousness. Giorgiani transported... That's Anselmo. Yes. <laughs> gazes on Celesta's charms. <laughs> he presses them with his lips. All-powerful love, the soul of nature, affects a prodigy. Celesta, apparently lifeless, dreams of bliss. Now, we're laughing about this, but, you know, think of what's happening here. This is not cool, guys. It's a little rapey. Yeah, yes, a, a little. Mm-hmm. Celesta, apparently lifeless, dreams of bliss. She shares Anselmo's 
transports. Her lips wander in search of his. She feels his warm embraces. She tenderly returns them. Nothing opposes the consummation of his fondest wishes, and it is only when she has nothing to refuse that Celeste recovers her unavailing strength. And then she freaks mm-hmm. out. Then she freaks course. out mm-hmm. because yeah. she's seen she what she's also, done. But then she also, the book also says, which I think is gorgeous, the book's like, and while she, I can't remember the exact While she's freaking out about it, she's also like, kind of like, oh. Yeah. Well, I'm a, it's a darn shame that that happened. <laughs> yeah, Except yeah, for yeah, yeah. awesome. Like, she's <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah. So, for that reason, David presents to you the... This is a sex on the beach, guys. <laughs> it's a sex on the beach! <laughs> but it is a sex on the beach with a monastic float of Fra Angelico. I don't know what that's going to do to this cocktail. It can make it worse. But it can't make it better either. It is So, like cheers. Cheers. Pure freaking sucrose. <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to, like, have a diabetes test after this. Oh. Whoa. God, people drank these <laughs> items? Is that peach? Oh, it's peach. <laughs> That's a lot of peach. It's a Jolly Rancher. Oh, my God. No, I know you that know, Jolly is... Ranchers, when you suck in them too long, it's like the taste oh! is so strong. How did people drink these? I remember when these were Not drinking. only did they drink them, they loved them. They were like, oh, sex on the beach. You, know, you can still order these in bars. It is, it is <laughs> not great. Mm. Um, so there wow. you have it. Appropriate mm-hmm. thematic fits in with the book. Do not yeah. be do not be deceived the by the flavor. There is enough vodka in this to oh, stun I believe you. Princess <laughs> Oh, It is not to be okay. taken like okay. drink yes. it with care. So so while we're on that passage, actually, I noticed something also interesting about that passage. Ooh, bring it. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do some close reading. Do it! We're gonna we're gonna I love close this reading. discussion. <laughs> Uh, so a really interesting thing about this novel is that, you know, every time there's a scene that's like a little warm, there's a little, you know, something going on, shifts into the present tense. It does? Mm. Yeah. News to me yeah. too. Yeah. I never it, noticed. Ooh. Yep. Is that a translator thing or a French I don't thing? know. I don't know. Oh. I haven't read it in French. My French isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> what does that but, mean? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Because there's also like occasional moments where like something's about to happen and then doesn't and there'll be like a sentence in the present tense and then it shifts mm. into past tense or mm. yeah past tense wow I yeah. would be really interested to know if this is a translator thing or a French yeah. thing mm. because I mean if, it, if, it, if it's these moments when mm-hmm. it sort of gets blue mm-hmm. it, it I mean this does start to read at those points a little bit like like penthouse letters <laughs> like you're not going to believe what happened to Anselmo yeah. but I swear that every word is true right like yeah. so that present tense should not <laughs> Matt's just remembering back to his father, Stephen. Oh, <laughs> um, it's so bad. It's, I mean, but I mean, there is that sort of sense with those passages where that is clearly for the titillation of the audience. Absolutely. And putting it in present Absolutely. tense brings that. Like, I don't know if it has a literary yeah. device so much as a prurient one. Yeah, right? like this is happening now. Yeah. It's I want to know what's putting it's really the original in the French. Yeah. Is like yeah. that racy or even like there's more, your next project. More a little comparison of mm. translations. Yeah. Time to learn French. Gotta learn French. Time to learn French. I guess my second. I don't know if I can drink this. It's, you finished the Dirty Shirley? This makes the Dirty Shirley look like a austere outing. This is like un... This is very sweet. It's so sweet. I squeezed the orange juice myself with my own two hands. God. Okay, so here's what I... Okay, so this scene is also great because, A, there's that moment that, Kate, you were just talking about where, like, mm-hmm. she, she, like, 
is kind of pleasantly relieved it's, that she got to do this with a, her lover, but she gets to also plead that she's not guilty of this thing. It's a really common trope in 18th century lit, yeah. actually. It's oh, it been, is? Yeah, yeah, it's super common. So it's like a really, really common thing for there to be a sentence that says, you know, she's kind of excited that this happened, but there, there's that like necessary thing. But isn't that plausible a, deniability? There isn't that a male fantasy, deniability. right? Yeah. It's a but male it's fantasy. It's that, often women authored. Yeah. Because that's what I was going to say. So Elizabeth yeah. Gwynard put this yeah. in. Yeah. So she actually published this under a pseudonym, uh, Monsieur de Favreau. She had a, a bunch. A male name? Yeah. She yeah. had a bunch of pseudonyms that she published under and a handful of them for, I would like, definitely want to publish this under a suit. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. because, because, gentle <laughs> listener, be aware that this sex on the beach moment that we've just been discussing is not even scratching the surface no, of, it is of the utter depravity of this novel. <laughs> it, is one, it is one of approximately 2,500 women. Let me just say that, that Anselmo similar. follows this up by swimming ashore naked Right? Yeah. Where he goes and finds an old widow's shack. <laughs> she offers him breakfast or something yeah. and also some clothes, and uh-huh. he repays her with sex. With the only favor he has to offer. I and think yeah. she, <laughs> the yeah. it. And she yeah. is like, afterwards, she she's on. like, she's like, not only takes it up, she's like, come, come back on anytime. back, come you can, <laughs> you can pay me in kind anytime, young monk boy. You're not going to believe a word of this, but I swear <laughs> that every word is true. So, and then, and this isn't even getting to the point where, okay, so there's two other love objects, well, there's many love objects, but there's uh-huh. two primary ones. One is Rosa. Yes, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about Rosa yet. Rosa, who shows up on the scene I as a 13 or 14-year-old who knows as much as a 30-year-old. <laughs> Creepy as hell, y'all. Yes. Creepy yes. as hell. Well, the other thing... Oh, we... I wanted to ask our expert. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh-huh. Is that a common trope in, the, in your... <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I can't say I've read it before. Yeah. So the, the, my, I mean, among the things that, I mean, I, I'm not mm-hmm. shocked by frank descriptions of sex. Uh-huh. I've read Penthouse Letters. But <laughs> what I was shocked You've by, made that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like your fourth <laughs> citation of them. It was a different time, people. Um, what, I, what I was really discomfited by was how horrifically young Every woman was in this, yeah. except for like the Duchess and the mother. And there was even a moment at the end where, like, the the author there's this sort of narratorial thing where the author's like she could have been 15 or 16, and then when she's in the confessional, she's like, I no. have not, but 13 or 14 years. Yeah. Like yeah. they yeah. kept skewing yeah. them younger. Yeah. And there was there was another one who she was. That's like, Eliza. Another weird sex object where one of the monks, which one? Anselmo. 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 Always Anselmo. But he's very amiable. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 Silvino Silvino is amiable. Well, I think Anselmo's a little amiable, too, if you know what I mean. He's the golden one. He's got a prodigy. Uh, Yes, he does. (laughs) Love produces that. (laughs) But somehow Silvino's the problem. I know, that's funny. Yeah. That's pretty weird. Anselmo's just, like, running around. But Silvino is running, like, a crime syndicate. and is. Yeah, which also... Popular gothic trope. Yes. Yeah, that is. Oh, yeah, that's that's oh, yeah of course yeah. it is. Right, yeah. and then and that that like keeps like the because that's yeah. in a lot of that's yeah. in a lot of American gothic oh, stuff as well. That pops up in in like tales yeah. of the city, the secret like evil that. society. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, like it's interesting because like Silvino's kind of getting framed as like the evil monk of like absolutely. And then he's the one who sacrifices himself. Just at the end. It was Silvino. He jumps scaffolds with his own hands. And then he yeah. I mean. Spoiler alert, I guess. No, yeah, yeah guess what? You know who's going to read uh, this? No one. 
No, I need everyone to read it. He, he took poison so that when he jumps up there and they don't end up killing him, he's like, it's fine, guys. Yeah, he's I like, I, he takes the blame for the assassination but, you know, of the... Yeah, he, he committed. Of the Duke? Yeah, yeah the worry. Duke. Right, so he does yeah. kill the Duke, and then he takes the blame for it so that Eliza... Eliza? And, yeah. And, and Celeste survive. Yeah. So Anselmo's two lovers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Two of Anselmo's lovers. Two of them. Yeah, yeah you true. really need to yeah. reverse that. Because yeah. we didn't even talk about how Rosa, the the first uh-huh. 14-year-old yeah. in this freak show... How old are the monks in this? They're they they like, ranged from like 14 to 29. Okay. Yeah. But they, they kept yeah. growing. And well, yeah. it, it wasn't yeah, ever yeah, clear, yeah, but yeah. there's that moment where he spends three years in yeah. the convent or something being mm-hmm. a good monk, and you're like, oh, maybe they're maturing. No. Um, <laughs> but but he, Rosa, no the Rosa growth. ends up running <laughs> this novel. bizarre... A, she runs a, a, apparently a what's brothel. a brothel, uh-huh. but she also has this... She has this secret plan that she puts on Silvino to oh, ask yeah. her to do... Where she gets to sleep with all three of yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She convinces <laughs> Silvino that his friends will leave if, if she doesn't, if sleep, she with doesn't sleep with them, and yeah. he thinks it's his idea. And but, she's yeah. like sweet, yeah. and then she starts sleeping with all like, three yes. of them. And, but and they live together in a, quite in happily a, for in a, a while. Moment, yeah. In a yeah. moment, yeah. 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 Literally. In a moment of, of stunning irony, in a in a text that is just very subtle, with <laughs> <laughs> that is precisely what drives Anselmo away. Yeah, that's oh, right. He, he, he he's feels, like, because then he feels a shred of remorse. So then he runs off, and that's I think where he finds Eliza in the confessional. Yeah, he goes. No, the, no, no, no. That's when he goes back to. Oh, that's right. That's Celesta. where he finds Celesta. Yeah, and so he, he falls in love with his that's foster what mom. Brought us, that's yeah. what brought us that's this a, delicious. See, this is why I didn't do a plot summary. <laughs> yeah, because seriously, because here's the thing, people. We could sit here and talk about the insanity of this plot for like another hour. We really could. Yeah, it is nonstop. Bonanza of in, of Crazy Town, like it's bonkers. It is. It's bonkers. Freaking. Oh, it's, it's so wild. Um, my question. I. I mean. I. This is the thing. Is I. I and we were talking about gothic, which often relies yeah. on monks yeah. as a trope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is. I, and you're like, okay, so this is an English translation. So I was like, I wonder, mm-hmm. is it anti-monastic? But the boys just get away with everything. Yeah. yeah. There okay, is a, so, the second volume, there seems to be some payback for their sins. The a begin, little. At the beginning, it looked like there was, like at the beginning of that volume, or maybe the end of the first, yeah. I kind of was a blur there in the middle. <laughs> but I, as I was like sitting in bed, like, oh my God, when will it stop? <laughs> but like there was a moment when they were like, gentle reader, you have read the first volume and perhaps you've enjoyed these present tense descriptions of hot sex. <laughs> but gentle reader, now the bill is due, right? It does that move. It does. And but then and yet like, it never gets paid. It never quite gets paid, right? I mean, Silvano, I guess, pays it, but I mean, it, it's not. Silvano, it's not I as though all three it. of them go down. Anselmo the doesn't pay. Shit. Anselmo yeah. gets Eliza yeah. in the end. You know what Anselmo's he, like? He's like the knight in the Wife of Bastille. Oh, he's like he commits is. a race and gets rewarded in the end. For he it. is, but I feel like this so is somehow less in this case. Yes, so hey, and it's yes. super interesting because I think at the end everyone ends up with who they want to end up with, except for Celesta, who is in love with the. Alonzo, Alonzo doesn't end up with her. I know. Because he's like, like, sorry, I was busy sleeping with three women on Christmas Eve, but I'm too good for you. And I'm like, fuck you, pal. Actually, it's that she slept slept with Anselmo, and he thinks it's too weird to get married to the woman who slept with his son. Which, like, yeah, it is. It is Um, too weird, but so so is everything else in that. It's not as weird as actually sleeping with your foster mother. But I think it's super interesting that the one woman who, older... 
right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Married, mm-hmm. Uh, thus has more sexual freedom, that she's the person who doesn't end up with one. who she's supposed to end yeah. up with. I think that's really fascinating. And I want to point out, I don't think I've said it yet, Elizabeth Gwynard got married at the age of 23 to her cousin, who was 88. Mm. And then she wrote novels for the rest of yeah, her life. Yeah, because there was nothing else to do. She wrote novels <laughs> for the rest of her life. And I think... I think we can't we can't not think about that. So, she wrote them between the hours of eight o'clock yeah. at night and two yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her. I guess. Her. I don't know. Yeah. I feel bad. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of worth noting that um, I think well, like Rosa dies in the end, right? Rosa dies. Rosa dies in the end. Yes. Celesta. It gets like explicitly punished yes. by her husband, who's like, "I haven't paid attention to the you dude. for our entire marriage." And his punishment yeah. is like, "Now I will pay attention." You to have you. to spend time with him all the time. Well, he was a politician. <laughs> the Duke was actually my my one of my favorite characters because the Duke was apparently totally a hundred percent disinterested in everything except except the politics. fate of European nations. Yes. And so this is what made me think it yeah. was like a Romana clay. I thought it was taking the piss. I, I wonder yeah. about that some too, actually. Some Italian politician who's like ah. famous for, or a French politician who's only famous for, yeah. I don't know. Like that is was, not what Italian it politicians was so are famous. Specific. I know. <laughs> so, what's the last Italian politician maybe, you heard actually, of that was ever interested in statecraft? The Napoleon. Well, because he did got he, like, rid of Josephine, Josephine <gasps> and then married someone who would be like better for statecraft. But, but that was, I think, that was later. I was going to say, yeah. is that 1803 or? Whatever? I don't think so, but okay. like maybe. Ooh, I liked it. Yeah, though, but, but but maybe. <laughs> French Revolution. Anyway, I always just, relevant. I just thought, whatever. Like, but so the women get punished. The boys get away with everything except for yeah. Sylvina, who dies. Yeah. yeah, it does. I mean, it does with, take pain. With agency. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say with agency. He dies yeah. with agency. It does take pains to punish the people that it singles out early and often as mm. wrong, mm. right? And so it allows. I mean, it. it it, it singles out Anselmo as doing bad things, but he's always in some way misled by Silvano or, you know, captured by the lust of I'm whatever. I'm sorry, when he's looking through the confessional screen at the yeah. 13-year-old's boobs, yeah. he's guilty yeah. as charged. Yeah. I am not saying that he's not. Let the record show that I am not saying that he's not. But, I, but, but, but the novel yeah. pushes oh, yeah. Silvano's guilt. Yes. Over Anselmo. Yes. And can I just say that you might, gentle listener, are one listener. You guys have gained a listener today. Congratulations. Or no, we may have lost one. <laughs> it's a net zero. <laughs> there is a third monk, Domenico, who is oh, yeah. basically yeah, non-existent. <laughs> He's like, useless. What he doesn't even deserve the exclamation point. As far as I can tell, he is, it is... He was a good son, a good brother, and a good friend. But a bad monk. But <laughs> you literally pulled out a quote about. I mean, if you had said in these two volumes, find a quote about Domenico, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like he is so he underutilized. Do he doesn't seem to enjoy the Sometimes. charms of the criminal life or the charms of the monastery. He's just kind of like the anxious friend who's in the background, being like, "Oh my god, you made me steal, and I'm really unhappy." But well, I guess he's the one who stole the cup. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who stole the cup for Sylvina, and he got really upset about it. He didn't want to do there, it. He has a very long monologue about the cup. <laughs> he, he does. does. He's, he's very tortured upset. about it. I mean, yeah. it is really long. It's like yeah. this is a book that like speeds through numerous seductions per page. 
<laughs> and then gives this guy this like eight page internal monologue about how sad it is to steal this cup. But that's it. It's very moralizing. And, and there's also like a later part where that comes back where Silvino's kind of like trying to justify his life of crime to and Domenico. And he remembers the cup. And, and, and he's like, Domenico, do you still think stealing's wrong? And then D- Domenico's like, yeah. And then <laughs> Silvino's whole justification is like, well, you're breathing the same air other people that. breathe. Yeah, that's you're you have their stolen air. the soil when you walk across their their lawn and tread away with dirt. Okay, speaking here's of here's Rosa. Right. She's 14 now. Fair game. Like it's gross, guys. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It yeah. really is. It is. It's such a weird book. And I have to. The last thing is Anselmo, who is the sort of you know he seems to be the hero of the story mostly, even though he's like a hapless seductor of numerous children and shit is that he tries to kill himself three times with a knife. He's like, I'm going to stab myself in the heart. He's extremely dramatic. Is this killing, I mean, not to bring things back to the Middle Ages, but is this real killing themselves or is this like, is this like... No, it's real killing themselves. Is it, or is is this like Palamon and Arcita, like, I shall die of love, courtly killing of the self? I don't know because the nurse has to stop him. This is, you rejected me and I'm so depressed about it that I don't want to live anymore. But this is, I mean, this is a trope that we see as early as the 14th century like I mean you, and, yeah. and earlier than but that means... right but there is this whole like if you leave me I shall die you know Hendy, I think of Hendy Nicholas in the in the um in the Miller's Tale, who you know, Darren, love you know, we, we yeah, yeah. speak to me, or you know, or I will spill, or, or I will spill right? Yeah. So, um, you know that that trope. Oh. And nobody, or in, in Troilus and Crusade, where Troilus is on the point of death, and Pandarus uses that to like coerce and manipulate Crusade. There's no way that Troilus is really going to die, but that trope becomes so powerful that I mean, is that the kind, or is the this like really like die. I've got. The, got the, the sword to my it. chest, and I'm gonna collapse on. I read it literally. Okay. Yeah, I I think I like, read it, it kind of reads to me like some 18th century tragedies where there's like people who are like, I'm going to fall on my sword, no. yeah. and then they like and sometimes they like miss. Sometimes doesn't Antony miss? Doesn't Antony miss? And Antony and Cleopatra doesn't he not do oh, it right somehow? Oh yeah, and then he, he kind of like staggers in. All right, it's a way to go out. Like I said, there's we could talk about this book forever, but it is time for us to rate, and we get to rate the the book on our own scale. And I mean, I have to say, it's got to be a scale of one to three monks. I mean, I will. Can I ask real quick? Is the French title Tremouin or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With three exclamation points. Yeah. No, the exclamation points were added by H. J. Sarah. Awesome. Now rate it. I mean. I, I'm somewhere between one and two monks, so maybe I'm going to give this a monk and a friar. Like, I really liked this. Um, I, I enjoyed it for its ridiculousness, but I'm not, it's like a meringue. Like, I'm not sure what's there once you bite in. So it's like Domenico and maybe like Anselmo. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it is, it is, like, it is exactly right. It's not Anselmo. Silvano does not, does not mean. So I'm going to give this, a, I'll give it a two monk rating as long as one of my monks is Domenico. Domenico. Okay. okay. <laughs> On a scale from zero to three months, I will give this fucking book seven fucking thousand months. It is the greatest piece of literature ever written. It is a nonstop barrage of hilarity. It is 
each page, which are tiny, they fly by. Oh, they do fly by. Thank yeah. God. There are 400 of yes. them. Yes. Each page is a delight. There's like these classicizing like metaphors. There's an innumerable. Aurora. Aurora always yeah. rises in the east. She does, and her little rosy fingers are yeah. all over everybody. Um, it is got, it's depraved as hell. It is the best thing that's ever been written by a human being, and it wins the Canterbury Fails. I cannot believe there's no scholarly tradition on this book. There should be entire departments of the Mugs Studies. <laughs> it wins everything. Your ranking. I think I think you just made Kate like the happiest person alive. <laughs> I, this is one of my favorite books, uh, mostly for all of the reasons. You just so, like, that was so articulate, Matt. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I can. I can't, I can't, I can't beat the first that. Word that came to my I mind. can't beat that. I've um, got nothing. I give, it, I give it all the monks. I, I all just, the monks. I just, I Every enjoy goddamn monk in the universe. It is all of them. Monk. How many monks are left? Every there monk. can't be that many. Every monk. I, I actually, I was in... Um, Corsica and Nice earlier oh, this Oh god, that must have been nice. Earlier yeah, in the summer. I know she's and, sending uh, me pictures of And really I walked past monks. I've literally never seen a monk. Oh, oh, I go to Kalamazoo every year. There's always a few That's true. There's a couple monks. So I saw a bunch of monks at summer camp when I was growing up. So oh. there were like Franciscan friars walking around. Right. It was weird. Anyway, I give them all I grew the monks. Up in Alberta. All right, what's your ranking for this book? Everyone's I, I keep going last and I'm like You can go first on um, the cocktail. Okay, I'll yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> And if you want, you can have the rest of mine. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know that you managed to take down two thirds of that. I am brother. trying hard. <laughs> Carry on, Candice. What's okay. your name? You know what? I also really, really enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't maybe give it all the monks. Because I like a bit of landscape description in my romantic mm. novels. Mm. Oh yeah, so you know. much of the Gothic is all these endless chapters. I know, on I know, I know. The you mountains know, that are looming spookily, do. and you're like, God, oh, just go. If they all don't I have wanted, three pages on a rock, Candace isn't happy. I know. All I want is like one hike description. Just give you me could one have mountain. Given, with the, the storm description, yeah, but, oh, the storm description. Yeah, yeah, but that was embedded in 400 pages of nonsense. <laughs> but but like you know, I want them to like climb a mountain and like meditate on the beauty of Aurora rising in the east. Like, Candace. Just the passing these references. Three, these <laughs> boys, the these boys are not doing any yeah, of that. Not I know, I know, and like that, that, I, I really require that for all the monks to be okay. granted to this novel. But I will definitely give it all three. Okay. Wow, I feel bad again. All right. So now you, Candice, are in the unfortunate or fortunate position of rating the cocktail on a zero to three monk scale. Well, you know, I feel like I have, I have. Uh, Consumed enough of this I was cocktail. Say, you have voted with your suction. <laughs> with like, my that six. Is... Um, so you know, I can't give it a zero. <laughs> can't give it a zero. Having consumed most of it, and apparently it's having its effect in it. So it is. It is. There we go. Uh, it's about a third. There's about a third left. Yeah. So I'll give yeah. it a third. One okay. monk. One, One monk. monk. We'll give yeah. it Silvino because you got left out on your rating. Yeah, you do. That's good. Here, it's Silvino yeah, right here. That's a Silvino with a cocktail right yeah. there. Yeah. I'll okay. give this like maybe maybe half a monk. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, like, guys. It's, I, it's, you it's, you it's, can trash it if you want. Drink, it's, it's garbage. It's drinkable. No, barely. It's drink. It, it exists. That's true. There it is. Half a monk. Half a monk. Half I monk. will give it zero goddamn monks. <laughs> no, I... It is like drinking like a child birthday party 
that has been distilled into a thick syrup that a unicorn like danced in. It is so, someone might like that actually. It's a Jolly Rancher. That's and wrong. Selma probably. Would. It, yeah, he, and you go to the child's birthday party for the wrong reasons. It is a terrible. Terrible drink. I can't believe it was ever trendy in the 80s and 90s. I used the Gifford's Guide to make this. I actually... It this is, is a recipe. Disgusting. <laughs> you researched this? I did. I looked it up because I, mean, I didn't know how to make a sex well, on the beach. It was like a flash of insight that were like, of course the cocktail Matt, is going to be sex on the beach. I then made the sex on the beach. little did I know the consequences, which are you have to drink <laughs> essentially <laughs> high fructose corn syrup, which is being pressure washed onto your tongue by a criminal band of elders. I hated it. It's disgusting. Zero monks. Cheers. Zero monks. <laughs> That's it for this week's Canterbury Fest, people. Did you? Um, you haven't ranked the cocktail yet. Oh, I just agreed with Matt by okay. clinking with him. That is okay. that is garbage, and I'm going to finish it, but I'm not going to like it. Um, uh, thank you from the Canterbury Fest. If Fails, you're still with us. From the Monthly Mercury, Candace and Kate, thank you both for joining us. This was great fun, um, and we are glad if you decide to rebroadcast this monster on your podcast to have joined you. Um, We'll see you again next time. All Take right. care, y'all. Cheers. <laughs>